What's up? This is Step, the creator of Cute Little Fuckers, and you are listening to Fuck This Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the real and ridiculous related to sex, sexuality, gender identity, polyamory, queer shit, trans shit, body image, sometimes some straight shit. We talk about all of these juicy subjects with a new inspiring guest every single episode. This episode is sponsored by Cute Little Fuckers. Cute Little Fuckers are the most adorable vibrators on the planet. They are all really powerful rumbly vibrators made out of silicone that are shaped like adorable monsters, each with their own names and pronouns and backstories in a webcomic series that you can read online at cutelittlefuckers.com. I highly suggest checking that out and checking out the toys. Go to cutelittlefuckers.com and support what we're doing here and support yourself in exploring gender-inclusive, positive sexuality and sexual expression. One last thing before we dive into this episode, we are recording this during a global pandemic, which means that we don't have access to our studio, our guests don't have access to our studio, we don't have direct physical access to our guests, we are all recording this with the recording equipment that we have laying around. So because of that, a word or two might get lost here and there. Please don't let that turn you off from the amazing conversations we are about to have. So I guess with that, without further ado, let's dive in. Today, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Tequila Ray Snorkel, the gender fluid co-founder of Post. Tequila, it's awesome to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's such a privilege to be here. I'm so stoked to talk with you. So Tequila and I were good friends back. I mean, we're still good friends now, but we saw each other in physical space a lot more when Tequila lived over in San Francisco near me. We would hang out all the time. But about, gosh, how long has it been? Like a year and a half now? More? Since you moved to rural Florida to start a cricket Mm -hmm. farm. Yeah. So I had a cricket farm in San Francisco. We were farming out of a shipping container. It was awesome. We're like building a lot of technology and automation and tools around cricket farming and general like bug farming. We've moved on to some more species. Uh, and it's just crazy fun. And we realized that like, yeah, we could try to set up in a warehouse in Oakland as the next step, or we could for much cheaper come and get nine and a half acres out here in rural Florida. We bought a cricket farm that has existed since the seventies, which is like a huge benefit for so many reasons. And now we can just like expand and expand and expand. So excellent move for the company. And I knew it was going to be like a weird, crazy adventure. And it's so much weirder and so much crazier than I ever imagined. When you say like, I can't imagine living like that, like you actually can't. And then you live like that and you're like, wow, this is very different. And I've learned so many things that I didn't know about pumps and wells and septic tanks and just like rural engineering tractor repair. It's like, it feels like drinking from a fire hose and learning so, so much, so, so fast. I believe that. I mean, like when you told me that you were <laughs> moving to rural Florida, I mean, all of us were like, really? You, you're, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, we support you, but I can't wrap my head around it. And and I, since then, I've been to your cricket ranch in Florida. I mean, it's, it's that. It's a full-blown cricket ranch. And it's so cool. 
And also, it is rural, middle, nowhere, Florida, with, you know, plenty of churches and gun shops on the way. And just being your just queer, fabulous, trans femme self, that must have been one mind-blowing contrast, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I think... Weirdly, the biggest thing that I ran into just like being the promiscuous trans girl that I was in San Francisco, uh, coming here, I, I felt a really big, like big disconnect from being read as a gay male. And like in San Francisco, people would see me and be like, that person's sexual. And here they're like, that person's homosexual. And it's like primarily being someone that dates femmes and women, it's like, it's really weird to like step into a space and just be like so like heavily misread and then also shoeboxed into a bunch of very Southern gay stereotypes that I do not fulfill. Um, and I think there's something else to like the the beauty standard of like being seen next to me in San Francisco makes you cool and being seen next to me here makes you like a social pariah. And they're like, why do you have to stoop that low to get friends? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? And just like, yeah, it's like a a mismatch of beauty standards. And I know there's like of people that grow up for whatever reason. Uh, I think especially people with like lifelong disabilities constantly feel this pressure. And I think I am like so lucky to be able to feel both because of like how much knowledge that gives me about the world and like living somewhere where I am, what is not pretty. And having had that pretty experience, I think is, is really unique. Uh, other people have that opportunity, but I, I'm very grateful for it personally. And I think it's really cool. And I think that there's something to small, small social circles and small towns where like the weirdos, I don't know, there's so much more love and so much more connection when it's just like a couple of you and you need each other. It's how you can make like really, really deep lasting friendships that are like unbreakable. I think it's really good for me. That's absolutely gorgeous that's absolutely gorgeous so oh my gosh there's so much there's so much in there i i want to you know dig into it's also interesting so uh, i guess the, the the first thing that pops out to me is you mentioned that you're so grateful for having this contrasting experience between being somewhere where you were you know, considered one of the beautiful people and being somewhere where you were considered very much the opposite uh i'd love to hear just a little bit more about what about that experience you're grateful for? What you really learned out of that experience? Yeah, I think it's um, it makes me build a different tool set because when I can just walk up to well-to-do people and be like, hi, I'm great. And they're like, you are great. Then it's really easy to like get things and use that like social capital. And I feel like here, um, say I'm at a bar and there's like a bunch of people in there. Around here, they wear collar shirts and cocktail dresses is like the thing to wear to the bar. I don't understand, but I mesh in in my own way and it's very fun. But I can't just walk up to them and be like, I'm great. Like it it doesn't quite work. So I have a different skill set of either getting those resources myself or finding people and building real relationships in the community that are like not superficial, that are based on actual like you know, real things like communication, caring, conflict resolution, and all those things. And I think that that like, I don't know, I don't want to call it uh, vapid, but like that like social hierarchy based on being in the in group or how you look or how you dress can be very rewarding and very fun. But I think it's inherently fragile and fickle. Uh, And I think I see this constantly in LA where like the paradigm and the social structure is 
based on who you know and how you dress and if you can act the right way and if you can use the right fork on your dinner plate and know the right cheese places that are local and cool and all of that like socialite stuff kind of just like falls out when you're in a total um total perceived minority and uh you have to work on actually like how can i provide value to people what like here at the farm it's all like what waste material do i have that someone else wants and build a relationship out of that and then how can i get something from them and then good um, I had my um, very conventionally attractive girlfriend bring baked goods with me, and I think that won a lot of favor with some with a rural family who's now like a very very like they're like the closest family friends I could imagine, and they're like the, the people in town that I can go to for anything, and they have like everything because they have like a huge many acre property with tons of broken down cars and tractors, and I just bought like a double wide from them for like two thousand dollars, like that's they just like me a lot now they just think i'm really cool <laughs> and do you think that is because you brought your standard typically attractive partner to them oh that's such a huge thing and i i like i don't talk about it much but like behind closed doors i'll go up to my partners and be like when i'm seen with you i am no longer in physical danger and there are places i will go with a pretty girl that i would not go by myself or that i would not go in makeup like i, I had a like really poignant experience of this at a gas station in Santa Rosa, far enough away from San Francisco that this kind of harassment like is a big way again. And I got out of the car. These two guys were just like, I can't believe you're wearing that. You're so weird. And they were just like, you know, giving me the typical shit. Uh, and then my conventionally attractive girlfriend got out of the car and they were like, whoa, if I dress like that, do I get a girlfriend like that? And it was just like a sudden switch of like, well, if it's working for heteronormative gains, like can I really bump it? And I'm like, <laughs> so like uncomfortable by the situation, but at the same time, it's a pathway to like safety. And so I like definitely on purpose will take one of my partners who is conventionally attractive and be like, will you come to this place with me so that they think I am cool? That's like the easiest way to shift. I'm a gay boy to like whatever that guy Prince was, I guess, or like <laughs> they have these weird, like, like David Bowie Prince ideas of like maybe he's likes rock and roll a lot I don't understand yeah and that language not being there you just have to like all these really far away tropes of like and I don't think Prince is actually that far from me but um but these faraway tropes of like David Bowie and Kiss, a lot of people here recognize me and bring up RuPaul and ask me which season's my favorite. And I have seen like two episodes of RuPaul, but uh, but it's a comparison that comes up all the time. And it's so interesting to me because that was unimaginable. Like in San Francisco, I think I, I would never compare myself to like drag queens or to RuPaul. And now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, I see it. And it's, I know it's really interesting and it makes me think that like something that's problematic to me would be progressive because it meets a bigoted person where they're at and it like drags them that one inch and that one inch is so important. I don't know. Drags them. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, again, so much juicy stuff in there. So like one thing that I'm hearing that I just kind of wanted to echo was that it sounds like a lot of your, you know, bringing your partners to places isn't, so much in order to manipulate things to get what you want, but more just like to create a, a sense of safety and security in where you're at because people see you as such a and understanding. Yeah, or understanding. Yeah, that's that's actually yeah, a really beautiful way to put it is that like by showing people that that they can 
understand you more, even if their way of understanding you more is actually under, having a less concrete of idea of what you are. Like, you know, and they're like, oh, I totally get you. You're, you're a gay male. And then they see that and suddenly they don't, they get it even less, but somehow, yeah, understand you more deeply and more fully. Yeah, and I think it's just like they're, they're so disbelieving, I think, because like people are so unwilling here to come out of the closet and to admit that they're gay. Like if I, if I find someone on Tinder that I swipe, they'll be like, he's probably gay and I'm going to get my heart broken. And then I like meet them and I'm like, I'm not. And then they'll show me to their friends and they'll be like, he's gay. You're going to get your heart broken. It's just like so much work to even be like in the considerations of someone that they'd have a relationship with. The easiest thing to do is just like show up with the girlfriend and be like, this is my girlfriend. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. And then she like kisses me on the cheek and then it's just like understood through data. But yeah, it's it's definitely a really strange experience. And I think there's there's like so many cases of this, like people who are like half Indian being read as Hispanic. And like there's so many times that what someone actually is and what they're perceived as, it's like how we talk about white passing people who aren't actually white, like their minority is real, even though it's not how society treats them. And there's weird, like, you'll have like a, this person thinks I'm a gay man interaction and then this person recognizes what I am. And like, and you can be having group interactions where some people are treating you as a trans person and some people are treating you as a gay man. And it's like this complex, like bumbling ball of who actually understands and I think we talk about minorities like, singly of like you're trans and therefore speak on the gay experience or something. But I'm like very able to speak on the gay experience because I experience it despite not being a gay man. I don't know. It's it's super nuanced and interesting. And obviously, as you travel, who who is white passing changes. And as you go from culture to culture, who is seen as trans and who is seen as gay. And I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how we signal and how people hear signal and asking myself, like, if I grew up here, would I be goth? And the answer is like, probably. And then I'm like, am I being fake goth when I dress goth with my goth friends here? Should I just dress like a raver, even though they don't have those here? And like, it's come, it's taken a long time for me to feel like not unauthentic taking on that look and that identity around here to like blend in and attract the people I want to attract who are goths here. I think it's just like in a violent environment, you take a more extreme, like it's not happy and rainbows. It's like black and don't talk to me. Um, And it's like (laughs) the same identity and the same message translated into growing up in Florida. And I think about that a lot. And I think a lot about like, I think part of shaving my mustache, I used to have a very big curly mustache that I recently shaved and it takes me like three years to grow. So it was like a really big deal. But I think there's like this like hipster boy who likes IPAs, who has this curly mustache that I was kind of like playing on with like taking femme features of like lipstick and eyeliner and eyeshadow with that mustache to kind of play on gender in a way that felt really comfortable for me. Um, but now there's, there isn't that guy, right? Their, their association with that mustache is like Yosemite Sam and like the Marlboro man <laughs> and these like cowboy stereotypes. And I, honestly, I'd, I'd love to play on the, on the male stereotype of a cowboy with like a lot of beautiful makeup and like florals and stuff. But I think it's really expensive and really hard to maintain. So I, I didn't go for that. But I, I kind of think that, that shaving my mustache was a lot trying to put my 
like what I was trying to say into Florida speak. And I think the next phase might be like buff, bald guy mixed with femme traits. I think that's like kind of more the same message in a different language. Yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting. And it makes people signaling gay and trans in China. How are people signaling gay and trans in all these different cultures? Yeah, that's really fascinating. Like one, what's coming up for me is a lot of people when they talk about like expression, especially like gender and sexual expression, there's sort of like two different reasons or kind of like modes of thought around that. One is I want to express what's inside me so that I feel like myself. And the other is I want to express things so that people understand who I am. It's kind of that like, or that you attract the people that you want to be with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which is a large part absolutely. Of it. So it's just like really interesting. And I think growing to... up here, I'd be really frustrated that I, I can't be with those socialites, right? And I I, I kind of like had my moment to do that in San Francisco and now I feel okay with it. But I think there's moments where you can get really frustrated where who you want to reflect on the inside and what gets you to the people that you want to get to and be with when those two things so deeply can't coexist i think that's really hard right and that's why people stay in the closet and so do you uh i'm asking a question do you think that your confidence in your identity and gender and who you are that you built during your time in san francisco was important for you to be able to express yourself in a different way and try to reach that kind of cultural difference without making it feel like, you know, an affront to who you were. Yeah. I think it was huge. And I like, yeah, like the, the amount that I have to like trek to try to like get things that I want and like find spaces that are comfortable for me is, is huge. Like I, I meet someone that I'm compatible with like romantically about like once a year, I find someone historically and like, that's a huge change between like having like a Rolodex in San Francisco where I can just like call someone up and be like, you want to go on a date this weekend? And they'll be like, yes. Um, and instead I'm like slogging and slogging and trying to find other people and just like asking to be Facebook friends with anyone who has colored hair, literally um, <laughs> like any sign of like any alternativeness. I'll just like literally walk up them in the middle of tractor supply and be like, can we be friends? Do you have a Facebook? And it's like, it feels very like 1990, your number, but it's like totally the right thing to do out here. Someone like had to expressly tell me like, when you live out there, just anyone who looks at all weird, just be their friend. And I'm like, that's so weird. And they're like, just do it, just try it. And I, it's really good. But yeah, like I have to slog a lot. And I like went to so many different open mics and like different places to try to find a place where I can like be accepted. And eventually I found like a Kava lounge that does an open mic that's super inclusive. And like, there'll be like black poetry reading next to a guy playing guitar and singing like singer songwriter country songs. And then there's a DJ up next. And it's just like, everyone shows up because there's so few spaces where that event occurs that I can show up and it's not weird. And yeah, I think that without having that San Francisco experience, I don't, I don't think I'd even like get through two months of being like, no, someone loves me. There's someone here that loves me. And going like six months and still being like, no, I'm really, trust me, I'm really, someone's going to really love me. And like continuing to like wait and make friends and meet people and be like, one of these people is going to love me. And, like, I never would have had that. And, like, I think there's also a lot of 
fear in that in a way. Like I, I would absolutely do it this way. I would absolutely like I discovered myself in San Francisco. I was I thought I was a boy when I moved there and like really found myself. And then upon thinking about moving to Florida, like it was really scary because I was like, I've never been this somewhere where I might not be accepted. I've never been like I've literally never been beat up in my life. And, uh, and like, that was a very real possibility in my head when I was moving here. Um, it's not the case by the way, but, um, it's been really, really validating to go to somewhere that is really difficult. And I, I honestly, like, we all have this feeling of fakeness in being trans. We all feel like we are not valid and that we are not, maybe this is only a gender queer thing. I think I'm pretty sure it's every trans person feels like they are not trans enough, not enough. Like I, I was very scared that I'd move here and it would be so much easier to not be flamboyant or that I only liked being flamboyant because it brought me attention. And that's like, if someone said that out loud, I'd be like, that's so problematic. But it was like a thought in my head about myself. And I had that like internalized notion that I was like doing it for attention or whatever. And it was definitely a thought that ran through my head, like, oh my God, what if I detransition? And then like coming out here and like living through the hardness and like interacting with people that will never get my pronoun correct and just like forming friendships with these like farm laborers and like literally being their boss has been like a, a really like difficult thing, but brought me so much clarity that like, yeah, it's way more comfortable for me to be out. And honestly, I thought I was like amazing in the closet for like three whole months. I, I was like, no one knows that I'm weird. This is totally chill. And then everyone was like, so like, do you have a boyfriend or whatever? And I was like, what, what? Uh, I'm not at all strange. What do you mean? And I realized like, I've been wearing camo shorts for like three months and like, I've been wearing crop tops. Like I, I, and I like, seriously in my head, I was like, this is what cis people do. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then I. I like lamented for so long that I don't have anything. Like I have no permanent surgeries. I have no legal name change yet. Like I've done nothing to make it so that I can't like backslide and go back into the closet. And that's when I realized like, oh, I have Valley Girl accent now. I am fucked. Like I, I can't, I can't go back in the closet. I, I inherently like would have to put a year of effort into it. And that I just like <laughs> so queer no matter where I go that felt really good to oh actually I can't backslide like I'm fucked I am out everywhere I go someone knows I'm really weird yeah <laughs> you are queer and yes. <laughs> whether yes I now I no longer feel like I'm doing it for the attention I definitely no longer feel that way yeah wow that's incredible that's really beautiful thanks so much for sharing that piece that emotional piece of the story about yeah, just being worried about the transition. I mean, how could you not? And like all of the common thoughts that we have as queer and trans and non-binary people about not being sure if you're queer enough. I remember when I started doing the Cute Little Fuckers comics, literally the first comic I made was called Queer Enough because it's just such a pervasive mm -hmm. issue. Um, and so that's yeah, just really all beautiful. That's so crazy. That's really beautiful that you've like that this kind of hardness has helped you find like even more confidence and peace in that, which is awesome. And like I love what also what you said about still finding a way to make friends and connections with people who 
maybe like don't really understand your identity, um, but that you can still find value in those relationships and ways of moving forward. I know personally, and like when I think about, you know, what it would be like to leave the Bay Area, I definitely am like, oh, it'd be terrifying. Like no one would get me. Like, like here I make sense, but it would just be so hard. And how would I make it? And it's just really cool to hear you being your full self. And yes, there are these trials and tribulations, but also there is still like community and also still an ability to work. I imagine that, you know, as someone who does farm work as a cricket farmer and has to work with people who, you know, supply or suppliers for things you need for a cricket farm who are probably really like down home rural folks um, that even on that like kind of professional level that must be intimidating uh, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, I think um, part of the, the confidence in knowing that I am trans enough and that I am like real in my identity was giving myself the, the permission to like not have to walk into tractor supply with a like, I like anal crop top in order to like feel like I'm being true to myself, right? I can like put on a blue collar shirt and actually my 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 straight people outfit is I put on a blue blue collar shirt and then I put on a reflective vest and then I like to put on like headphones with with a uh, with a microphone that sticks out the front like truckers wear and then it looks like a utility worker or something. It's it's really good. I hate getting a reflective vest and a blue collar shirt if you're ever in the south cuz I can, I can do anything. Like if I, if I like go and like steal barrels of water from the local park or whatever, like that's what I'll wear. And it's, it's, it's very good. And I have a big white truck that looks like super, um, super industrial, super official. And when I wear that thing, I can do whatever. It's great. I talk to a lot of genderqueer people about that. We do get to have both sides of it. And like, we, we, get to have the best of both worlds. And like a lot of us are like, we we can't just be masculine when it's convenient and feminine when it's convenient. And I'm like, oh, we can. Oh yeah, we can. It's and like totally giving myself the permission to code switch. Yeah, it's it's like really good. It's really good for me. And I think it like feeds into all of those feelings of like, I'm doing it for the attention. I'm doing it because it's useful. And like, oh, I'm going back in the closet because I'm not wearing my like, fuck me, I love anal crop top or whatever. I think it's like really awesome to both know that you're that thing so strongly and be able to put on a blue collar shirt and like go to the like oil change place and just be like, Hey, this is my car. Could you like do the oil change and like put on whatever personality you have to <laughs> get whatever you want. And I think that that, is, that should not be validating for us. And I'm so proud to have gotten to a place where I can do that. And I'm sure if you look back, I like code switch super not knowingly now. So I'm sure if you look back at the beginning when I was talking about my farm, I was probably talking in a low register in a masculine way. And like, that's all like totally subconscious for me now. So I don't feel at all invalidated doing it. And it'll probably go away over time. It'll probably go away when I don't need it anymore. But right now it's great for me. So I'm going to keep it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. That makes you no less trans, no less gender fluid. That's that's really awesome. And I love even just like the the wearing, not uh, like doing it in a full reflective vest and headphones on. I mean, talk about hiding in plain sight. <laughs> You're freaking shining there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like 
we as a gay community have spent so much time trying to be something that we're not and trying to like pass as something that we're not and look normal and fit in. And a lot of have like a really big ability to like code switch. And I think even if you look back into the ball scene, they had like a military category. They had like pretend to look like a movie star, pretend to look like all these different things. And it was all about like performing someone else's identity. And I think that we inherently use that as a skill as children to like survive. And I feel like we then shun it from our toolbox and we're like, that's wrong to do, that's manipulative to do. But I think it's a huge part of our strength. And I think it's something that we should not shy away from. And it's a way that we can meet people on their own level. And I love that I do it out of making my oil changer feel comfortable. Like I don't do it so that I feel comfortable, so that I don't feel in danger. I've never felt in danger in Florida at all, which super surprised me. Everyone's like very permissive. Everyone's like, you do what you want on your land and I'll do what I want on my land. (laughs) And I've kind of translated the entire rhetoric of like leftist liberal San Francisco into this like libertarian, like it's my freedom actually. And freedom of speech says get to wear a skirt. And like, you can basically couch any LGBTQ argument inside of libertarianism and small government. And I think that's really important because gay people don't come from democratic families. They come from all families and this should not be a political issue and that you can put LGBTQ rights into any political format you want because it is a human right and just makes sense. I think that's so big. And I'm like so proud of my like Southern Queens out here that are doing drag in like Confederate flag dresses. RuPaul did it. It's not problematic. It's extremely progressive and hysterical. And I don't think that's reason for a call out. I think that's reason for celebration of a really problematic flag being used in very progressive ways and meeting bigots where they're at and having American pride for being a trans southerner is like one of the things that you can do to destroy Trump's America more than anything else, I think. Holy shit. That is just absolutely fucking gorgeous. So, so you're staying in Florida then forever, right? Uh, I think I'm, I mean, I am my company right now because when you found a company and a bunch of people invest in you and believe in you, you kind of do whatever the company needs. So I am traveling wherever my company needs. And that probably means building more farms in more places. And every time I look at them, I'm like, holy shit, is this more rural places? I kind of want to go clubbing, but like, it's like going to be COVID for another year and a half. So no, no more regrets. Now I love being out in the middle of nowhere where I can like throw any size party I want with any social distance I want. It's like, it's great. I throw raves in my tent with like people far away from each other. And it's really cool. Uh, and people here don't know my music. So it's like a, a big deal to like play some happy hardcore out here. People get really excited. But yeah, I'll be traveling around making more farms in more rural places, confusing more ranch supply store owners. And yeah, it's great. I just love the way your mind works and every everything you had to share. So gorgeous. Just like your confidence and passion and your ability to take on these situations. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this with us. Thank you so much, Tequila. Yeah, thank you so much, Steph. I'm really excited to hear the next episodes of your podcast. Let's answer some questions. What does being a gender-inclusive sex toy really mean? Isn't a toy just kind of a toy? I 
100% agree with you. Which is why we are a gender-inclusive toy company. But uh, kind of unfortunately, a lot of people don't see toys that way. So for us, what being a gender-inclusive sex toy company means kind of breaks down to three different things. We've got marketing, design, and visibility. The first is marketing. Go into almost any toy store and you'll see kind of sections for men and sections for women and not a ton of space for uh, anything between beyond and very, very divided. So for us, a really big part is not marketing to any specific demographic of people. When we work with retailers, really try to make it clear that these don't belong in the men's section or the women's section or the trans section or even the non-binary section if they had one, um, but really they kind of belong in all of them because they are really made for everyone. These toys shouldn't be putting people in these boxes. They should be just fun and explorative for all body types and whoever resonates with them. The second is design. So our toys are actually designed to be used with many different body parts. So for example, Starcy is designed with um, some nice curvature here, which is, feels really great for external stimulation on the vulva. Its curve um, angle on the front side is made to cup breasts really well uh, in a very stimulating way or chests in a very stimulating way. And also a big part of the design of this toy was to work with trans pre-op women because a lot of them have genital dysphoria, kind of stimulating their um, outer genitalia. And so by having a toy that's big enough to cover them and has a vulvic-like feel in the hand, it allows them to kind of remap their erogenous zones in their head. So those are just like a couple of the different uses. And you can see those are four totally different body parts. Some body parts which many people have, some which, you know, other people don't have. But really the point is that these toys can be used in a lot of different ways in for a lot of different identities and for a lot of different body types. The third is visibility. All of our toys have names and pronouns. Prince and Puppy Puss, their pronouns are they, them, or the royal we. We have Trinity with their partners Trip and Trine. They're polyamorous together. Their pronouns are she, he, and z, respectively. By actually having characters that are of a variety of different genders and sexualities, this creates more visibility for the larger experience of gender and sexuality and makes people feel more seen and feel more included. You know, inclusivity isn't a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's actually going out there and creating the space and creating the words and the rhetoric that make people feel good and welcome and included. And so that's what really the core of being a gender inclusive sex toy company is for cute little fuckers. It's about going the extra step to tell people that we see them and we love them and that we're here for them and they should be part of our community. They should enjoy themselves with what we create uh, and be happy for who they are because we love who you are. So thanks so much for asking that question. That was a really fun one. Uh, if you had any other questions for me or cute little fuckers in general, or you want us to ask any of our guests in upcoming videos and podcasts, please send a message to podcast at little fuckers.com looking forward to hearing from you 
and I'll talk to you all soon. Cute.